0: Yacht, hey, my relatives. Hello, this is Mark Charles. It is uh, Friday, August 4th, and I'm sitting down with my second cup of coffee. I've already had a fairly productive morning. It's early afternoon here on the East Coast, and I wanted to share a few thoughts with you as we kind of wrap up the week and get ready to go into the weekend. But before I begin, let me do like I always do and just acknowledge I'm speaking to you from Piscataway lands. My Navajo people call this Washington. This is Washington, D.C. And uh, I am very honored to be, to be on the lands that have been stewarded by the Piscataway people for generations, hundreds of years, maybe even longer. I also want to acknowledge them as the host people of this land and thank them for their continued stewardship of this land. Um, let me see who's on. It's early afternoon. As I said, I had a fairly productive morning, so let's see who's able to join today. Shantina Yate, thanks for joining. Uh, welcome from Virginia. Thanks for uh, being here today. I see there's a few more people who are tuning in. I know it's midday on a Friday. It's actually a nice day here in D.C. Uh, in the mid-80s, so it's not that hot. It's a good day to get outside. But, um, yeah, I just want to give kind of a a wrap-up for the week. It's been a fairly productive week for me. Um, You'll be very happy to know I've finally gotten myself into a regular writing schedule. Um, As you know, I'm working on my second book, uh, Decolonizing Faith, and uh, I would love to try and have it written by the end of this year, but I have been struggling to get onto a very consistent writing schedule, and this week I was actually able to get – on a consistent daily writing schedule, which is, I think it's going to be a tremendous help as I work on this um, uh, work on this manuscript for the rest of the year. Um, hopefully, I can keep it up. Also, just a short update on my uh, hip surgery. Remember, I had my hip replaced back on May first, and this past probably two weeks, I've been able to really kind of. Uh, hit my stride with my recovery and staying very active. Of course I have my Google watch which I love to talk a lot about and it's a uh, it's a Fitbit watch as well. Google bought out Fitbit but, um, I'm actually actively taking over 10,000 steps a day. I'm probably walking at least two and a half to three miles a day, as well as getting on the elliptical several times throughout the day. And my hip feels great. My muscles are still a little sore. I'm not worrying too much about endurance yet. I'm mainly just trying to get all the motion back and make sure I'm able to move okay. Um, In the next uh, few weeks, I'm gonna start working on my endurance and trying to get my endurance up again. My goal is to play basketball. Um, I'm in my fifties, but I still really want to play some basketball. So I'm working towards that. I would love to, to get, um, get myself back into not only shape, but also back into just the ability with my hip and everything else to be able to be active on the court. So that's my goal and it's going fairly well. Um, so to, to. Start today. I want to begin. There's a few things I'd like to talk about today. As you, uh, if you have a chance, grab your cup of coffee. And uh, I want a few things I want to talk about. The first is some stuff I, I, I talked about before. I remember, like a week ago, I think I, I mentioned and I spoke some about um, Cornell West's third-party candidacy for president and gave some thoughts about his candidacy. But I've also talked a lot about how it's the Dems, the Democrats who are right, they're afraid of of competition. And so they work very hard to keep people off the ballot. They work very hard to uh, make sure there's as few options as possible outside of the the right-leaning Republican uh, uh, list. And they are already ramping up their attacks and their work to kind of get uh, Cornell West out of the campaign. There was an article that was in my uh, in my um, uh, I came across it the other day. It was on Politico. Uh, it's titled "Biden World Moves to Stave Off Cornell West and No Labels Threat." And so. Uh, There's two kind of major third party candidates who are considering running while Cornel West is already running for the Green Party nomination. And I believe there's another uh, Democratic uh, um, uh, candidate who's thinking of running third party um, under a, a campaign called the No Labels. And then, of course, there's very few people running in the Democratic, um, Marianne Williamson and maybe one other person. But there's almost no competition in the Democratic Party, which I think there should be. I really think there should be. But there's not. And so the Democratic Party is really focusing primarily on Cornel West um, because they see him. He's a prominent African-American academic, very smart man who has a fairly large following and, um, they're obviously afraid that he's gonna steal their black voters. Um, and there was, so as I, I was reading through the article, I encourage you to take a look at it. There was one quote that really um, kind of uh, stood out to me in that article. And it was talking about Cornell West was being asked, this was about a month ago, about the Democrats opposition to his campaign. And was he going to? So the Democrats love to blame their loss in in 2016 on Jill Stein, who was running as a Green Party candidate, and that she took votes away in some very key races, um, some key states that allowed Donald Trump to win over Hillary Clinton. And um, and so they were talking about. Is Cornel West going to do the same thing and put Trump back in office in 2024? And the quote said in June, when asked about it, West dismissed the idea that he could draw away Biden votes by saying that when somebody chooses to vote for you, you're not pulling votes away. You see, Biden doesn't own any votes. He's got to earn them. He's got to earn those votes. And see, that's the problem with the Democrats, right? They they truly believe that any vote that is not on the right side of the aisle is their vote. And they have a right to that vote. And anyone who tries to take that vote is stealing votes from the Democratic Party. And that's an absolute lie, right? If you look back, and I'm going to share this, this um Screenshot with you. This is from um, Ballotpedia. I actually use this site a lot during my campaign, and this is looking at the votes in 2016 and the the states that went left and the states that went right. And then it looks at the the votes that were given in 2016. Hillary Clinton, of course, won the popular election. Uh, She won the general election vote with 65 million, 65.8 million Donald Trump lost the popular vote with 62.9 million but he won the electoral college vote with 304 electoral college votes. Gary Johnson who was running as a libertarian which is a right leaning third party had 4.4 million votes, almost 4.5 million votes for a 3.3% take of the overall votes. And Jill Stein from the Green Party had 1.4 almost 1.5 million votes for a 1.1% take of the votes. and right this is this is why the democrats get it so wrong right the the they blame Jill Stein and she only took 1.1% of the votes more right leaning votes went to a third party candidate than left leaning votes And they still want to blame Jill Stein for not winning, for causing them to lose the 2016 election. This is the lie. This is the myth that the Democrats put out there. You'll see if you follow the mainstream media, and again, almost every major party or every major news media outlet leans to the left. And if you listen to almost All of the mainstream, whether it's in print or on video or on TV or online, right, ABC, NBC, NPR, AP, everything pretty much leans to the left. And they will come up again and again and again talking about the Green Party and what they're going to do and how that's going to affect the Democrats. And they will almost never bring up the Libertarian Party and what impact will that have on the Republicans, even though the Libertarian Party is more popular and gets more votes than the Green Party does? So anyway, I loved, I love Cornell West's response, which is those are not his votes, right? You don't own these votes, Mr. White landowning male from the 1%. They're not your votes. You have to earn those votes. And yeah, if there's another person Buying for those votes. They have just as much every right that Joe Biden has for those votes. Those are unclaimed votes. It's not Cornel West's fault that in a very close race, the Democrats are putting forward a very status quo, mediocre white landowning male from the 1% who is not only Currently the oldest president in U.S. history at 80 years old, but he is running for a second term, meaning he's going to be in office till he's 86. Right. It's like, what what are this what is this party thinking? Anyway, so the attacks have already begun. They're already are lobbying to try to get Cornel West to drop out of the race so he doesn't steal the votes of the white landowning mediocre male that the Democrats want to put forward. So anyway, that was the first thing I wanted to discuss. Second, if you've been paying any attention whatsoever in the past 36 hours, 48 hours, you will notice that Donald Trump has been indicted yet again. And this time, for his involvement in trying to overturn the election uh, leading up to January 6th. And he actually appeared in court this week in Washington, D.C. He obviously pled not guilty. And then he traveled immediately to Alabama, which is one of his most supportive states in the country. Surprise, surprise. And he held a fundraising um, dinner there. I think that was last night. But anyway, um, so Donald Trump has been indicted. And if you've listened to me before, you've been paying attention to what I've been saying. Um, You know, I didn't think that uh, the Democrats and I didn't think uh, the Biden administration had the courage to actually indict Donald Trump. I didn't think they had the courage to do it, but they've done it. And I'm actually pleased about that. I'm a little bothered by the coverage of it because they're talking about how this is unprecedented and they're talking about how right this is the first time this has really happened and this is what this is what's going on and i've said this before but The majority of, um, by majority, I mean the absolute vast majority of U.S. presidents, all but one, has been a white landowning male, right? President Obama was the only non-white president we've ever had as a country. And the Constitution was written to protect white landowning men. That's the purpose of the Constitution. It states right there. And the language it uses, and the way it points things out. So, what's unprecedented? I wish they would say this because they always talk about how this is the first, right? This is the first African American to do this, and this is the first Native American to do this, and this is the first person of color to include and do this. This is the first woman to accomplish this. I would love to have them say this is the first time a white male has been indicted after sitting as president. Let's talk about that, right? Because it has been majority white men over and over and over again. So let's talk about how this is the fact that this is not just the first president. This is the first white president, right? If we're going to have the qualifications for everyone else, let's say that about this guy too. Again, because the Constitution wasn't written to to protect people of color. It's written to protect white men. So this is the first time a white male has been indicted this way. Let's talk about that, please. But of course, they're not going to do that. Right? If it was President Obama or someone else, or this is the first black president who's ever, That's they would obviously say those types of things. If you're going to have these fricking qualifications on everything for people of color and people from the margins, let's Make sure we qualify it for white people too. Pointing out how it is highly unusual that our Constitution is actually being used to hold white men accountable. This is almost unprecedented. It is at this level. Absolutely unprecedented at this level. Let's talk about that. So anyway, I'm, I'm glad he's been indicted. I actually am starting to read through the indictment. It's a 45, 48-page indictment. Um, I've begun reading through it these past uh, – I actually started reading through it today. I'm going to work on trying to read through over it this weekend, and hopefully I'll finish by either next Tuesday or Thursday. But I would love to do another cup of coffee sometime next week to talk more in depth about the indictment. But there's a few things I just want to point out here uh, right now about this indictment as I was going through it. And first of all, let me put the link to the indictment in the uh, chat. And this is uh, the indictment at the justice department's website. It's justice.gov. And I just put that into the chat right there. And I took a few screenshots of it. So I want to show you a few. All right. So this is uh, the 10th the point. It's manner and means of this indictment. And I just want to go through. There's like five of these manner and means. There's A, B, C, D, and E. And I, just, I actually just want to read them here. The defendant and co-conspirators use knowingly false claims of election fraud to get state legislatures and election officials to subvert the legitimate election results and change electoral votes for the defendant's opponent, Joseph R. Biden, to electoral votes for the defendant. That is, on the pretext of baseless fraud claims, the defendant pushed officials in certain states to ignore the popular vote, disenfranchise millions of voters, dismiss legitimate electors, and ultimately cause the ascertainment of and voting by illegitimate electors in favor of the defendant. B. The defendant and co-conspirators organized fraudulent states of electors in seven targeted states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, attempting to mimic the procedures that the legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution and other federal and state laws. This included causing the fraudulent electors to meet on the day appointed by federal law on which legitimate electors were to gather and cast their votes. Cast fraudulent votes for the defendant and signed certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors. Some fraudulent electors were tricked into participating based on the understanding that their votes would be used only if the defendant succeeded to uh, in outcome. determinative lawsuits within their state, which the defendant never did. The defendant co conspirators then caused the fraudulent electors to transmit their false certificates to the vice president and other government officials to be counted at the certification proceedings on January 6th. C. The defendant and co-conspirators attempted to use the power and authority of the Justice Department to conduct sham election crime investigations and to send a letter to the targeted states that falsely claimed that the Justice Department had identified significant concerns that may have impacted the election outcome. That sought to advance the defendant's fraudulent electors plan by pushing the Justice Department's authority to falsely present the fraudulent electors as a valid alternative to the legitimate electors. And that urged on behalf of the Justice Department, the targeted state legislatures to convene to create the opportunity to choose the fraudulent electors over legitimate electors. D. D the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the January 6th certification proceedings to fraudulently alter the election results. First, using knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to convince the vice president to use the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate elector electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than counting them. When that failed, on the morning of January 6th, the defendant and co-conspirators repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud to gathered supporters, falsely told them that the vice president had the authority to and might alter the election results, and directed them to the Capitol to obstruct the certification proceedings and exert pressure on the vice president to take the fraudulent actions he had previously refused. E. After it became public on the afternoon of January 6th that the vice president would not fraudulently alter the election results, a large and angry crowd, including the individuals whom the defendant Donald Trump had deceived into believing that the vice president would, would uh, the vice president could, and might change the election results, violently attacked the Capitol and halted the proceedings. As violence ensued, the defendant and co-conspirators. Ex- exploited the disruption by redoubling efforts to levy false claims of election fraud and convince members of Congress to further delay the certification based on those claims." Uh. This is, right, just the manner and means of what uh, Donald Trump did and why he's being charged. And I'm very glad they were so specific, right? And all the stuff we've been told and everything that's been said, again, I've said this before, if a person of color, President Obama had done half the things that Donald Trump did, it would have ended for him much, much, much worse and much, much quicker. But because Donald Trump's white, because he's from the upper echelons of the 1%, right? This has taken a very long time, and it's a very partisan problem, not bipartisan, like it would be if it had been um, a person of color doing these things. But I am very glad that they are being so explicit in this indictment about what he did and how he did it and I look forward to seeing how the, the the government is going to lay out these charges and defend these charges, and not defend, but and prove these charges. Um, I think it's going to be very helpful. And i I've been actually, one of my prayers is that Donald Trump will actually have the courage to feel shame for what he's done. That's what I'm actually hoping for. I hope he will have the courage to feel shame over what he's done and acknowledge that it shouldn't have happened. That's as I pray about these types of situations, that's one of the things I regularly pray for. Now, <laughs> to be honest, I don't have a lot of confidence. Donald Trump has demonstrated no ability to show shame over, let alone doing something like this, but even over raping women, right? He has no shame, which is one of the problems we're facing here. But I'm very glad this indictment is so specific, and I'm looking forward to seeing this be played out over the next probably several years. Um, But I really hope that as a country, we'll be able to come together and recognize that this actually is not a partisan fight. Um, There was an attempted coup on our nation. And for the first time, we are trying to hold a white landowning male accountable for that type of a coup in an unprecedented manner. So anyway, I'm going to read more of the indictment in these next few days. Hopefully we can have a more detailed discussion about it next week. But those are some of my thoughts immediately about about this indictment. The last thing I want to talk about, and let me bring this up, is I was given a question. So if you follow me on social media um, and you follow my lectures and my speeches, you know that um, one of the things that I do in my lectures is I lay out, uh, I've actually started talking about the Charter of New England. And I do this to, to lay out how going all the way back even to the first Thanksgiving, um the European nations have been using languages of savages and dehumanizing language towards native peoples. And I point that out in the charter of New England. So I just want to show you some of the things that I've been talking about with this and then give you the question that I was asked. So one of the things I I bring up frequently is it's known as what's called the great dying, which was between 1616 to 1619. And during that period, there was almost this plague-like sickness that went through many of the native lands and villages and nations of the Northeast, and it killed thousands of native peoples. Like literally, they were they were they were um, dead very quickly. Entire villages were wiped out, and. Um, Even just here, it says, in the winter of 1616 to 1617, an expedition dispatched by Sir Fernando Jorge found a region devastated by war and disease. The remaining people so sore affected with the plague that for the country was in a manner left void of inhabitants. Two years later, another Englishman found ancient plantations now completely empty with few inhabitants, and those that had survived were suffering greatly. So in 1616 to 1619, we had what was known as the Great Plague. Then in 1620, King James, the first of, New, of, of England, um, wrote the New England Land Charter. And it says, James, by the grace of God, King of England, Scotland, France, and Ireland, defender of the faith, just saying who he is. He's writing the Charter of New England. In this charter, claiming these lands, he goes on to say that within these late years, there hath by God's visitation reigned a wonderful plague, together with many horrible slaughters and and murthers committed amongst the savages and British people there, heretofore inhabiting in a manner to the utter destruction, devastation, and depopulation of that whole territory. Within these lay, le- oh, so that there is not left for many leagues together in a manner, any that do claim or challenge any kind of interest therein, or any other superior Lord, or sovereign, to make claim hereunto, whereby we in our judgments are persuaded and satisfied that the appointed time is come in which Almighty God, in His great goodness and bounty towards us and our people. Hath thought fit and determined that those large and goodly territories, deserted as they were by the natural inhabitant, should be possessed and enjoyed by such of our subjects and people, and heretofore have and hereafter shall by his mercy and favor and by his powerful army be directed and conducted thither. So that's the quote used by King James, the reasoning used by King James in his New England Land Charter, written in 1620. Now, King James, he was King James Sixth of Scotland and King James the I of England. He was born in 1566. He reigned and he lived through 1625. He became King of Scotland in 1567. Or again, he was King James VI there, and then he became King James of England in 1603. In, so, the question that was given to me was Was the King James who wrote the New England Land Charter the same King James who commissioned the King James Version of the Bible? And the answer to that is simply yes. In 1604, just after he became king of England, King James I commissioned the King James version of the Bible. That was uh, there were over 50 um, uh, people working on that project. That was from what I read. And in 1611, they published the King James version of the Bible. And then it was in 1620 that King James um, wrote the Charter of New England. And so this is just. I just want to show that, yeah, this is the exact same King James, the King James um, who wrote the New England Charter and celebrated the destruction of Native peoples and said that this was a sign that God had given these lands to Europeans and to white people, and and just literally praise God for the the devastation wrought upon Native peoples it is the same King James who um commission the translation of the Bible. I put in a few websites into the chat that just talk about King James, his history, and where I found some of the, the details, the, the, the exact details that I gave you. Um, but uh, that second one I put up that, about the King James Version of the Bible, and there it says, The King James, our authorized version of the Bible, remains the most widely published text in the English language. It was the work of around 50 scholars who were appointed in 1604 by King James, and it is dedicated to him. Until the mid-1500s, attempts to give laypeople access to an English-language Bible had resulted in severe punishment, Finally, in 1611 came an official approved version that also had um, enduring appeal, the King James, our authorized version. So um, that question was sent to me a few weeks ago, and I just wanted to um, give you the details for that answer. But uh, I appreciate these kind of questions, right? If you have, if you have questions about the things I lecture on, the things I say, I always welcome you to... Um, Send them to me either online or send them to me uh, over email or some other way. And I'm happy to try to answer them as best I can uh, as on my second cup of coffee like I just did today. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. I hope that you appreciate uh, um, these types of discussions. Thank you so much, my relatives, for joining me for a second cup of coffee. I hope you all have a great weekend. And uh, I'm looking forward to the conversations we'll have tomorrow or next week regarding some of these things. Uh, but, yeah, walk in beauty, my relatives. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. how on that.